Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're welcoming Walter Longo, who is the director of the Longevity Institute at USC in Los Angeles. He received the 2010 Nathan Schock Lecture Award from the National Institute on Aging. And today, we are discussing his book, The Longevity Diet. Walter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, what, what inspired you to write this book? Well, um, I've been uh, working on aging and age-related diseases for uh, almost 30 years. And so uh, once we finished our clinical trial last year on this uh, fasting-mimicking diet um, and and obtained very uh, positive results, uh, I thought that there was the time to to let everybody else know what we've been doing and how it can be used to uh, prevent diseases but also treat diseases. Perfect. So, um, you know, how did you get involved in in studying all of this and doing this? Um, I actually started working on aging um, in my second year of college, and I, I always thought uh, that there was a, a great uh, scientific challenge, but at the same time, it was a great uh, medical challenge or at least a, a medical solution, meaning that it was pretty obvious to me even when I was 19 that uh, all most uh, major diseases were age-related, and yet, at least at the time, nobody was working on aging. And I just thought uh, that uh, there was a great uh, uh, unexplored opportunity, and then um, that's all I've done uh, since then. So, c- can you explain to us what aging is? Yeah, your voice disappeared oh. for about five seconds. Oh, sorry. Can Can you explain to us what aging is? Yeah, so aging um, uh, is basically the the, the, age, the time-dependent changes that occur in a variety of cells and, and, uh, and systems, and usually they're accompanied by dysfunction. So a better word is senescence. We use the word aging. Aging usually can be uh, also viewed as a, as a positive word. Uh, some things that age you get better, but senescence is a better word, but uh, ref- uh, referring to the age-dependent changes that uh, usually come with dysfunction. And this dysfunction is caused by, let's say, uh, DNA damage, damage to proteins, and uh, uh, damage uh, to lipids, et cetera, uh, inside of a cell and also uh, outside of a cell that eventually uh, make these cells and systems less functional. So, I mean, we all know about aging. We, you know, we age, and I mean, most people probably aren't thinking about DNA damage. They're thinking about how they feel. Um, but, you know, is that something that we can change? It's something we can certainly change uh, the aging uh, to the point that we can minimize its effects on uh, dysfunction and disease, right? So, for example, we've been following this population in Ecuador, human population that lacks the growth hormone receptor, and we have known for decades that uh, similar uh, gene, uh, similar mutation in mice causes a, a, a 50% lifespan extension and also a major decrease in diseases. 
Um, and we've shown in these people that they rarely develop cancer, rarely, rarely develop uh, diabetes. Cognitively, they're protected. They seem to be, have a more youthful brain uh, compared to the people that are age match and sex match and they live in the same houses, right? So, so clearly, um, the mouse data, the monkey data, the human data now suggest that the aging can be delayed so that a person can be maintained uh, in a functional state uh, uh, long enough, I mean, until they, they die, essentially. And, for example, I was following uh, Emma Morano, the oldest person in the world, up to this uh, uh, last year where she di- when she died at 117 years of age. And Emma was still eating on her own. She really didn't have any diseases. Uh, her memory was, was good. Um, so uh, up to 117, she managed to uh, live a, a pretty healthy life. And this is what I call juventology, a term that I coined to, uh, to sort of try to change the idea of gerontology. So uh, learning and, and studying aging, I, I, I thought um, it's more important to learning and studying how to stay young. Um, and that's really what we've been focusing on. So when, when you're following somebody like, like her, you know, living to 117, what, what are you finding that, that um, you know, people who are living that long have in common? Well, if you look at uh, people that have extreme longevities, um, you're going to find uh, uh, all kinds of stories, uh, particularly because uh, many of the ones that get to such an extreme longevity, they have the genetic um, uh, background to, uh, to uh, be an exception. But if you look around the world, whether it's Okinawa or Sardinia, Italy, or um, Loma Linda, California, um, all the zones that, are, that have extreme longevity, meaning that you have a, uh, they either have a longer lifespan than everybody else or they, they're able to get to 100 years of age more than everybody else, then you see the same diet over and over and also somewhat the same exercise pattern. So they usually have a low-protein diet. They're vegan, pescatarian, or you know, vegan most of the time. They might eat meat once a week. Uh, they may have some eggs uh, once in a while. Um, they usually have eat the same thing over and over, and um, and uh, and they're well nourished, right? So they they tend to know uh, what to eat, and they they tend to carry the tradition of having a complete diet, but fairly uh, limited in the number of uh, food types that they eat. Um, you know, they also usually exercise, but not in the sense that we think about. They exercise uh, naturally, meaning they may work, they may walk, uh, you know, 10 miles a day or, or, you know, do similar activities. And this is very common for, for almost everybody that uh, I visited. And uh, also, if you look at what's being reported on these uh, extreme longevity zones, uh, uh, it's consistent with this, uh, with this behavior. So, um, I, I mean, the, I, Living for a long time, especially in good health, is what um, most people are striving for. And I think a lot of people are afraid of, you know, developing dementia or or cancer, and, and especially having to be reliant on somebody around them, you know, for 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 help, whether it's physical help or or mental help. And um, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's 117 years old and she's still living on her own, I think that's uh, pretty amazing and encouraging that um, this is something that, that we can all achieve. 
Yeah, consider that uh, she lived completely on her own until I think 110 or something like that, 107. Uh, and then she still lived in her apartment, but then she will have, uh, um, you know, one person uh, pretty much always with her. So in the last uh, uh, 10 years, uh, that was a situation. But yeah, I think that there is, uh, you know, even 108, um, that is remarkable. And, um, uh, and that is, uh, of course, in her case, associated with the good genes, um, but also uh, in most cases associated with uh, a combination of factors. And for example, um, the, um, what we uh, observed and, and we see it also in the field is that um, people that have a low protein diet up to age 65, they did very well. But then if you look at people reporting having a very low protein diet when they're 75, 80, 90, they don't do so well. Right? So, and and, and uh, so we think that um, that that's a frailty component, meaning that once you get to a certain age, having a little bit higher protein intake, a little bit higher variety, maybe more meat added to the diet, or certainly more eggs and certain yogurts and and uh, um, maybe goat milk, um, these seem to be positive factors. And, and we think that a lot of the centenarians get that from oftentimes moving in with their sons and daughters. They have a worse diet, but it's a worse diet that helps them with the frailty component. So at 85 years of age, you're less concerned about cancer and more concerned about dying of pneumonia, for example. Um, so that's probably, we think that's probably why uh, these, uh, a lot of these populations are so successful. They sort of have different phases of nutrition uh, throughout life. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk about diet in, in, you know, this day and age, and and there's obvious reasons that our society in North America is going in a very wrong direction when it comes to diet. We have this conversation pretty much every week about, um, you know, we're eating too much of stuff and not enough of the others, and there's a lot of diets out there that are um, geared towards, you know, people's health problems. Um, You know, my, my consensus is that, we're just doing something very wrong and we're, we're kind of missing the boat on eating real food, um, you know, and, and you're saying to eat more vegan and, the, and there's the, the paleo side as well. So what is your opinion on that? Well, um, you know, my opinion is that, first of all, um, we allowed almost anybody uh, to be an expert on diet. And, um, and that's a problem, and, and you can see how it would be a problem in any field, right? If you uh, sort of allowed anybody to, to fly a plane or anybody to do surgery. Uh, and this is the same way. People underestimate how complex uh, the biochemistry uh, uh, that depends on, on the diet uh, is, and also how complex the diet composition is. So, um, you know, the paleo diet, um, I mean, I think the people are confusing short-term effects and maybe effects on one thing with long-term effects on the aging process, right? So in the end, um, let's say there's something, if you had a, 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 let's say a high-protein, high-meat diet uh, that makes your cholesterol uh, be lower, it may be completely irrelevant if that same diet uh, increases your chances of developing cancer by threefold and, and Alzheimer's by twofold, right? So now... You, you have a little bit less cholesterol, you may have lost some weight, and then you might have, 
you know, a much higher chance of developing all kinds of problems uh, later on. So that's what, uh, that's been the problem, I think, at having so many people having their opinion uh, and, uh, and also on top of that, also many of the experts having opinion based on one disease at a time uh, without the, uh, looking at the longevity component. So if you look at what, if you say this is a diet great for this, for cancer or for cardiovascular disease, we, we have to move away from that. Uh, now, you can do that for somebody that has a specific problem. So I say if somebody has had uh, three or four different cancers in the family, um, and let's say those cancers are uh, dependent on uh, or alcohol is a risk factor for them, then you certainly want to tell that person stay away from alcohol. But in general, alcohol extends your life. Uh, it doesn't decrease, right? So, so this, and so this is one example, but I could give you many. Caffeine is another one, and on and on and on. Uh, you, you have to be able to have a much more sophisticated look at these, uh, at these diets, and also you have to go with uh, data, right? So in, in my book, I talk about five pillars. And, and for example, if you look at the paleo diet, and five pillars are epidemiological studies, clinical studies, basic research, uh, research focus on longevity, centenarian studies, and studies of complex systems. So if you look at the paleo diet and you go through these different uh, disciplines, you'll see there's very little support for the paleo diet in, in any of this, right? So, uh, so then you have to say, sure, it could be that maybe it turns out that a very specific paleo diet is very positive for you, but the data is just not there. Do you really want to take your chances on it compared to a, a, a pescatarian diet a low-protein pescatarian diet for which there is overwhelming evidence for being very beneficial, right? So, yeah, so that's the type of uh, reasoning that goes into deciding diets. And, of course, there's the type of reasoning that you can have only, uh, you know, if you've been doing this for a long time and if you, uh, like me, have focused on biochemistry and pathology. So, I, I, uh, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people on the show and, and some with paleo diet, and some people do get good results and, and you know I've seen the, the data in in your direction as well and and sometimes I wonder if it's that um, you know people are changing their diet and, and that's why they're feeling better. You know, they're taking out all the, the sugars and all the other stuff that they're eating and it and it's hard to gauge. And I know with paleo sometimes people go overboard with the protein where really and I, I think you have um, in your book how much protein we're supposed to consume but we really aren't supposed to be eating, you know, this huge steak on our plate. It, it's a balance with everything else and, and uh, according to who we are as well. Yes, absolutely. So I think in most cases, you change your diet. Let's say you can cut your carbs or you can cut your fats and, and, and some carbs. Uh, if you make uh, drastic changes to your diet and you just eat less, uh, uh, you're going to see benefits. Now, the question is, A, how do you get the benefits uh, that are um, overall positive and not just temporary of one kind? And, and B, can you, in fact, maintain this diet for a long time? Um, and, uh, and so those are the things that, 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 are, uh, that are very important. So you can get lower weight in many different ways, but which one is the healthy way and which one is a healthy way that you can maintain for the rest of your life? Also because you're enjoying what you're eating. So a lot of people, for example, attack carbs. But carbs, if you look around the world, 
are uh, the, by, by overwhelmingly the, the number one type of uh, micronutrient, right? So in most, uh, in most uh, diets for, for uh, people that have record longevity, they eat, they eat mostly carb, but they don't eat a lot, of, a lot of starches. They don't eat a lot of sugar. So people, again, because there are so many people that don't, don't, uh, are not uh, experts in this field, they tend to uh, put carbs all in the same category and, and are unable to distinguish, let's say, legumes and vegetables, which can have a lot of carbs. So most of the carbs should come from legumes and vegetables. And people, a lot of times, are even surprised that they have carbs in it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and very little carbs should come from sugar, and some carbs should come from starches, uh, because unless you're you know, gluten intolerant, etc. cetera. Uh, because, why is that? Because uh, starches... Uh, allow people to enjoy the food, you know. So, uh, for example, a typical uh, old Italian dish would be having maybe a little bit, very little pasta, lots of vegetables, and legumes, right? That was the, the, the typical southern Italian dish up to 50 years ago. Now, almost every place you go to, you have a dish covered with starches, covered with pasta. Well, now we went from something very good to something very bad, Right. And, uh, and that's why, where a lot of the confusion comes in. Same thing for fats, right? The, the, the people confuse high fat with uh, a high bad fat diet. And, and so high fat diet, so having about 30% of your calories coming from fat is actually very good. I'm going to interrupt good. you just so that we can uh, take a break. We'll talk about this more when we get back. Um, we're talking today with Walter Longo, and we're discussing his book, The Longevity Diet, and we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Walter Longo. He is the author of The Longevity Diet. So, Walter, I just want to confirm uh, something you said before the break. You were talking about carbs, which have definitely been demonized, um, it, you know, in a lot of um, diets. And I, I think mainly because they might be done wrong or we've taken some things to the extreme. But um, are you know, what are healthy carbs that we can consume without hurting ourselves? Yes, again, um, the, the, the legumes, uh, so the beans, the peas, etc., um, they, uh, um, they contain a lot of carbs, and, and so do vegetables. Um, and so um, that, those are the, the ones that you want to have, unless you have some allergy, of course, uh, you want to have in high quantities, in your diet, what you don't want to have is this old style of rice bowl or pasta bowl or bread, uh, lots of bread. And those are really uh, starches. They, they, they're sugar, essentially. And, um, and they, they are converted into sugars very rapidly. Um, and so, um, and, and that's what, uh, the, where the confusion comes in, right? So we look at populations, including the U.S. population, uh, where there, uh, there's a lot of sugar, a lot of starch consumption. And, of course, that's bad. That's going to help uh, obesity, insulin resistance, etc. And we mix that with a high-carb diet of a good kind, where you know, what the Okinawans used to have um, uh, and what the southern Italians, etc., where, again, you have maybe about 60% of the calories coming from, from carbohydrates, but there's certainly not a ton of starches and a ton of sugars. So, and then um, for proteins, um, you know, you're recommending a diet that's not uh, very high in meat. So, how does somebody figure out if they're having enough protein in their diet? Yeah, so um, I think uh, they have to uh, um, do some uh, uh, investigation, let's say, at the very beginning, but then that's it. So, for example, a can of, uh, of uh, garbanzo beans. Uh, contains about 30 grams of protein. Um, so once you know that, um, and let's say that you are a person that um, is uh, 100 pounds uh, or 120 pounds, uh, you need about 50 grams of protein a day, let's say 45, 50. So you know that that contains 30. We have another 15 to go, and uh, you just have to learn that the, the 30, 40 foods that you always uh, consume how much uh, protein do they have in, the, in them? And then once you know it, uh, it's pretty straightforward. So let's say a filet salmon may contain, you know, 40 grams of protein or something like that, and, uh, or maybe even 50, depending on how large it is. Um, so once you know that, then, uh, um, then uh, you understand that uh, you need, uh, you know, to have so much of the uh, two or three uh, protein-rich ingredients to, uh, to get to the, to the required amount. 
Well, you know, um, I ha- your your book had a, a calculation in there, and and I haven't done that one, but I have done probably something very similar in the past, and um, you know, it reduced my my protein intake probably in half by doing that. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, they need to eat protein. So they're, and you know, they, they like it. So they add more. And, um, what we don't realize is that we are eating too much of it and we, we need to cut back on it as well as other things. I think we overeat pretty much everything except our vegetables, but, um, you know, it is something for us as a society to assess along with all the other things that we're doing that, there is, can be too much of anything. Yes, protein, now, you know, you hear it all the time, uh, and, um, and now it became the new uh, ingredient or macronutrient that everybody thinks is super healthy. And so I, I'm afraid that we're getting into another uh, epidemic, if you will, and, uh, you know, we did it with a lot of fat, and, and that people then turned to sugars, right? And uh, now we uh, go to high protein, low carb, uh, and that's going to create another problem. Um, so I think, unfortunately, is that people have to understand that, um, again, there is a, a, some complexity. Uh, that doesn't mean that they have to handle the complexity. They just have to trust uh, some experts that they can explain to them, um, you know, for example, you have to have enough proteins, and uh, but that is in the book I talk about. I say 30 grams of proteins uh, together with uh, muscle training uh, can optimize the uh, muscle synthesis. So if you have enough protein in a single meal, and and you combine it with muscle uh, training, uh, then you're probably going to have a uh, you're going to maintain a good muscle mass now. You know, you might want to have some extra protein during the day, again, to get to the uh, level that I uh, mentioned earlier. But it uh, seems like 30, 35 grams in that one single meal is probably enough to maximize uh, protein synthesis uh, in, in the muscle. And uh, um, so, so, yeah, so you don't need, the, uh, you don't need the, the, the amount of protein that most people eat. So, and, and with fats, of course, you know, they were demonized a while ago, and then now we're, we're realizing how important they are. So, what's your recommendation with that? Sorry, I didn't understand. What's my recommendation with? With, with fats. Fat. Oh, fat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, fat, um, the recommendation is there should be about 30% of the calories, so, so much higher than most people consume but not get entering that high ketogenic uh, uh, level that some people are talking about, let's say 50%. Why is that? Well, because if you look at some of the large studies, for example, Astruc and others in Spain, they've looked at uh, people consuming uh, lots of olive oil every day and nuts, et cetera, and they did very well. But I also like the fact that if you go with 30% of, of fats, let's say from salmon, olive oil nuts, uh, it, is, um, it is very common. Uh, if you look around the world, um, some populations don't do it. For example, the Okinawans have a historically a very low-fat diet, but some population do, the Greeks, the Italians. So it seems um, that it's enjoyable. It, it, it pushes you 
sufficiently into a ketogenic mode, but not so much that uh, we maybe get, get surprises after somebody does it for 20 years. Uh, so 60, 30, 10, I think is a good way to go with 30% uh, of the calories being from fat, but the good fats, uh, mostly plant-based or all plant-based, and uh, maybe a little bit from fish, and that's it. So um, you're saying that is it eating the, the fat can put you in a, in a ketogenic state? Yes. So now you're hearing a lot of this ketogenic diet, uh, and, and the problem with that is that if you push yourself, let's say, to 50, half of your calories coming from fat, now you're in a territory that is largely unexplored. Almost nobody around the world eats like that. It's certainly nobody that has a long lifespan historically, right? So now you're pushing your body into a mode, into an unexplored territory, and that is the danger of it. It may be that you do very well with it, but um, you're really taking a big, big chance, and that's why I say much better to stick with what we see in population like the Greeks and the Italians and maybe even the, some Costa Ricans. Uh, you know, keep the fat at about 30%, um, and, uh, and you can do that just by eating uh, a good amount of olive oil every day and uh, um, some nuts and maybe, you know, salmon a couple of times a week. So um, you spoke before the break about the five pillars of longevity. Can you just explain that a little more for us? Yeah, so there's the five pillars. I really wanted to sort of take my opinion out of my book as much as possible and, and really bring in a, uh, a multidisciplinary approach where I say, let's say you pick a high, a low protein diet. Why is that? Let's look at the epidemiological data, studies of large population. Well, a low protein diet, including our, our own study, but many studies are supporting a low-protein diet, and almost no studies are supporting a high-protein diet, right? So some studies will claim you have to have sufficient protein, but rarely you see a study showing a very high-protein diet is beneficial in a, in a large population in extending their lifespan or decreasing a disease. So that's one pillar. Another pillar is the um, clinical data, randomized. So, for example, fat, I just mentioned uh, the this, this study in Spain, where they took thousands of people that were at risk for cardiovascular disease, they, they randomized them, and then they say, well, let's look at the ones that have a high-fat diet uh, versus the ones from, from these sources, from olive oil and nuts, versus those that have a low-fat diet. And the ones that they had to stop the study because the ones that had a high-fat, high-olive oil, nut diet, they did so much better than everybody else um, that, uh, that they, it was unethical to continue. So... Uh, that's you know the cl- randomized the clinical trial uh, data. Then um, basic data focused on longevity. Well, that, again, a diet could be very positive for a year or two, but what happens 30 years down the road, 40 years? And so it's very important to have at least mouse data, and, and in some cases now we have even monkeys data on longevity, and say, well, what happens when you have certain diet versus another diet? And for example, if you look at the data from monkeys. Um, they're color-restricted. If you took uh, um, mon- monkeys that were on a Western-type diet, fairly bad diet, like, you know, could be a, a typical American uh, diet, um, they, and then you restrict by 25%, you see tremendous effects on diabetes, 
cancer, cardiovascular disease. And by tremendous, I don't mean a a 10% decrease. I mean a 50% to 100% decrease. So so we now know that by just cutting the calories by 25%, not even changing the composition, you can... uh, uh, you can have a tremendous effect on monkeys, not the mice. Uh, so that's another pillar. And then fi- uh, the, the, the fourth pillar is the um, centenarians. You know, look around the world. You know, what about the, 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 all these people that have record longevity? What do they have in common? And what they have in common is a low-protein diet, good fats diet, rarely eat meat or, you know, once in a while, but not, not very common. Um, and... Um, and again, you know, once they get older, they may eat a little bit more uh, thanks to their uh, uh, sons and daughters uh, sort of forcing them to do so. And, um, and then the, f- the fifth pillar is complex systems, uh, which is what about a car? What if you look at a car or a plane? How does that age? And what can we learn from, from uh, something that we built and we know exactly how it's built and, 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 and the way it ages? Um, so, for example, I use the, the, the example of a car. The tires are getting worn out, but then you can change the tires, right? So you can spend a lot of time studying how the tires get worn out, and then somebody comes around and says, you're wasting your time. I, I found out a way to change it. And so this is where the fasting mimicking diet comes in and uh, you know, our work in, in promoting both intracellular regeneration and cellular regeneration so that you essentially change the, the tires. Um, well, well, we'll talk about that after the break. We're just going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Walter Longo, and he's the author of The Longevity Diet. So we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're speaking with Walter Longo, and we're discussing his book, The Longevity Diet. So in your book, you have um, certain rules that people should follow around food. What are those? Well, um, uh, some of the, uh, the, the major rules are, um, for example, uh, something coming out of uh, Sachin Panda's uh, lab and a few other labs. Uh, it's called time-restricted feeding. And, uh, and this uh, um, is about how many hours per day should you eat. And some people, um, and a lot of people, eat for 14, 15 hours a day, as research has been shown. And, um, and instead, um, it's, it's clear that we need to stick with about 12 hours a day, uh, not much less, not much more. Uh, why is that? Well, if you go to 15 to 16 hours a day, so if you start eating, let's say, at 8 a.m. and you end at midnight, uh, usually that's associated with metabolic uh, problems and also with sleep problems. Um, now, uh, some people now are starting to do the opposite. They're starting to fast for 16 hours a day. Uh, and that's also uh, problematic. There are a number of studies now showing, for example, gallbladder formation and gallstone removal uh, is, uh, is associated with long uh, fasting periods. So if every day you go... Uh, you fast for 16 hours, uh, that could be problematic, uh, and you might end up needing a gallbladder operation. Um, and uh, uh, also, several studies now are showing uh, breakfast skipping is associated with increased cardiovascular disease and, and increased uh, overall mortality. Um, and so, uh, obviously, we don't know why that is. Is it the breakfast, or is it something else that the people that skip breakfast do? Uh, but certainly, if you, if you fast 16 hours a day, uh, you're most likely going to skip breakfast, and that's, uh, uh, it's got an association with something negative, and so that's probably not a good idea. So best to stick with 12 hours. The other uh, rule uh, that I go against is this idea of eating five times a day or even six times a day, having small meals. Everybody has heard this. And uh, uh, clearly, this doesn't work. Uh, we're now in the United States at uh, 70% people are either overweight or obese. Um, and this has been associated with this uh, five to six uh, time meals a day recommendation. Um, so in the book, I talk about if you're overweight or you, you tend to gain weight, go to two meals a day uh, plus a snack. Uh, so keep the 12 hours feeding uh, state but uh, two meals, uh, say breakfast and lunch or breakfast and dinner, and then have a snack uh, uh, for, for your third meal. And that's probably um, uh, the best and safest way to go. And then, you know, what I mentioned earlier, uh, low protein up to age 65, then go to a moderate protein intake. Uh, that's another important rule. Nourishment, be uh, nourished. A lot of people become vegan, and they go from one problem to the other. So they go from maybe... 
um, you know, lots of meat, etc., uh, which can promote certain diseases to uh, being malnourished, uh, low proteins, uh, low vitamins, maybe B12 deficient, uh, maybe vitamin D deficient, uh, maybe uh, omega-3 deficient. And that's uh, probably as bad as having a bad diet. So the nourishment uh, uh, is very important. Yeah, so those are, those are some of the, the rules. And, of course, uh, maintain a um, not only... Uh, weight, uh, normal weight, but also look at your abdominal circumference. It's very easy to measure and, uh, um, and maintain a, uh, a, uh, you know, normal waist circumference. And I thought I, I showed the, um, the, uh, measurements in the book. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that people are, are talking about the, the meal frequency because I, you know, it was about 10 years ago where I read about um, the, the snacking part not being great for our blood sugar and all that. And the only thing I changed was to go to three meals a day instead of the five everybody had been told to do for years. And I lost 10 pounds without changing yeah. anything else. And I also felt freer because I didn't have to eat all this food all the time and yeah, you know yeah. when you know and when people are talking also about how we are as hunter and gatherers if we just want to look at that we didn't eat five to six times a day we didn't even have that much food available and I am sure nobody has the time to do that so I, I'm not sure where that advice came from um, but I I feel well, those advices I think you know, came from some studies that may have been done in a hospital, right? So if you feed somebody in a hospital, if you could actually, you know, keep them in a hospital and feed them exactly the right amount and everything is controlled, you know, it may have some benefits, but that's not reality. And when you get out there, you can imagine somebody gets to 8 p.m. has only eaten twice and now starts thinking, oh, my doctor told me to eat five or six times, so I got to eat another three meals, you know, and, and uh, I would not be surprised if this happens all the time. Well, you know, there's that, and I think that um, that can also make us realize that we're eating, not realize that we're eating too much, and that's where a lot of our problems have come in, is that our calories are are too high, and and when I have people change um, this habit of theirs, you know, they always come back and say they're hungry, but really when we count everything, it's just that they were eating too much, and their body just has to adjust to eating the right amount, because it was trained to feel a certain way, and, uh, you know, once they get over that, they feel better, and more energy, and of course not trapped by eating so often. Yes, I think it's almost impossible if you eat five or six times a day to, to really realize what you're eating, how many calories you eat at every point. And also the stomach, um, I say when, when you eat the right foods, let's say lots of legumes and vegetables and, and a little bit of, car- uh, of starches, uh, you, you can feel the stomach, right? And the stomach sends signal. This is what uh, bariatric surgery is based on. The stomach sends signal to the brain, I'm full. And if you have small meals, that signal uh, never reaches the brain, at least not the, the, the fullness. Um, and that's where um, you're probably always hungry. Uh, uh, and, um, and so that, that's probably also contributing to this uh, uh, overeating behavior. So you have a, a fasting mimicking diet to kind of cover what you said before, where we've got some problems with the 16-hour fast that everybody is doing now. So what is this diet? Yeah, so the, the fasting mimicking diet is really the sort of end result of, of all the 
uh, research I've done. I started with Roy Walford, who was one of the pioneers in color restriction at UCLA. And, uh, um, and, but uh, they were doing this uh, chronic color restriction that I mentioned earlier, and it's really, it works for certain things, but then it may do damage in other ways. Uh, so the fasting making diet uh, is the, the, the result of that and, and trying to address the problems. And uh, so the idea is if you do something for five days, once every, on average, probably every four months for most uh, North Americans, um, if you do five days every four months of, of these uh, diets, the diet that is equivalent to fasting, uh, would you get uh, long-term benefits? And the data suggests uh, yes. Uh, and uh, um, so this is a, a diet uh, in which each ingredient is uh, selected for its uh, fasting-mimicking properties. What does that mean? It means that when you fast, uh, there are certain uh, components, particularly amino acids and proteins and sugars, that signal to the body uh, to, to become activated. And so if you remove certain ingredients, then the body is fooled into thinking it's not eating at all. And that's what fasting making that is. You provide nourishment, provide calories, provide the pleasure, meaning that you're now eating foods that you recognize as uh, normal foods for you, but you get the benefits of fasting. So we tested this clinically, uh, and in the clinical trial, we did the three monthly cycles in a row uh, for five days, and then we tested the effects, and, and this had uh, you know, very strong effects on, on many uh, disease risk factors in the people that had those uh, in the high range. So this range from um, cholesterol, triglyceride, blood pressure, uh, fasting glucose, uh, systemic inflammation measured by C-reactive protein, IGF-1, which is a potential risk factor for cancer. So all of those in people that uh, had high levels of them to begin with came back to, uh, to lower level and in many cases uh, uh, came back to the normal range and not the high risk range. So, uh, so we think that um, this is uh, powerful uh, and, uh, and we believe that um, you know, now there are thousands of doctors in the United States and Canada that are uh, recommending this uh, prolonged fasting mimicking diet and um, and we believe that uh, it can be uh, next to the pharmacological interventions, and, and hopefully doctors start uh, going to these uh, FMDs first, uh, see how the the patient uh, does, and then they make a decision whether they, whether to put them on drugs or not. So, um, what would um, this look like if somebody decided to do this? Like, how often are they doing it, and how long for? Yes, so the recommendation is, well, first of all, um, you know, the, I recommend that the people use what was tested clinically. I don't make a penny out of it. Everything goes to the foundation uh, called Create Cures Foundation. And, uh, but we felt that it was important to, uh, to standardize it to, uh, so um, that, that it's safer and effective for people. And, um, and this, uh, if somebody's obese and has a couple of, uh, um, risk factors, say high cholesterol, high blood pressure, the recommendation is to do it once a month for five days. Uh, if somebody is uh, on the other side and is uh, um, perfect weight, has a pescatarian diet, is very healthy, exercises a lot, uh, this person might have to do it twice a year. Okay. And what does that five days look, for, look like? 
the Friday um, it has uh, um, uh, lots of uh, nut bars, uh, uh, vegetable um, soups, um, lots of good fats, uh, and a number of other ingredients. I think it's got about 66 uh, ingredients. And this, you know, uh, we, we make it look like normal food, but in fact, uh, every single ingredient, it took years of, of developing and, and making sure that it had fasting mimicking properties. Um, and so uh, it's fairly sophisticated, but uh, it, to most people, it looks uh, fairly straightforward. Um, and uh, I think over 30, 35,000 people have done it now. And... Um, and, uh, you know, most people can get through it uh, without much problems. So um, is there um, a, a restriction on calories? Like if we're um, not really fasting, but fasting, you say, or are we eating the same amount of calories, just choosing different food? No, the calories are reduced. So, you know, so some of the properties, uh, fasting mimicking properties you get from less calorie, but on day one, for example, you have 1,100 calories. So it's fairly high, and on day two to five, you have about 800 calories. So it, uh, it certainly uses the calorie restriction for five days, but that's uh, maybe part of the effect, and the, the major part is the, uh, the composition of the diet. Okay. So um, now, is there any way people can get more information if they're wanting to look at doing this for themselves? Yeah, so, uh, of course, the book uh, is all about that, The Longevity Diet. And then uh, and also the book, uh, all my royalties go to the Create Cures uh, Foundation. Um, and uh, they can go to prolonfmd.com, P-R-O-L-O-N-F-M-D.com, uh, and they, uh, they can look up... Uh, um, the uh, the um, the prolonged diet and uh, see how I'm not sure. I mean, the United States uh, uh, is available. I think it's also available in Canada now, but but I'm not sure. I, it looks like it's available on Amazon.ca, and it might be available in other stores. Um, I want to thank you so much, though, for joining me today. This was a very informative episode. Okay, thank you. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 